Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Rusty Quill presents. I was an Englishman in New York. Well, New Jersey to be specific. But technically I could see New York from where I was standing at the docks. It was extremely discombobulating. I'd been sick in every sense of the word for the last three days. Felt light enough to be blown off in a stiff wind, with all the weight I'd forcefully ejected out of myself. I couldn't keep a thing in my stomach except for a few crusts of bread. Being on solid ground was a godsend. You wouldn't think a bloody tanker to sway to and fro so much, you know, being the approximate length of a football pitch and all. And yet, when that storm arrived that evening, I wanted to be anywhere else but on that rotten boat. The rest is a bile-stinking blur I want to soon forget. I checked into a nearby shitty motel. Yes, just as shitty as the one in Portsmouth, only full of yanks instead of sailors. And laid down, waiting for the ground, the world to stop seesawing back and forth. A good night's sleep which had me up and at the early hour of the morning did wonders. When I stood up, I was finally on the flat ground again. I had breakfast at a restaurant called Denny's. The hash browns were salty and greasy and crunchy. The bacon, too greasy and mostly fat. The orange juice wasn't freshly squeezed, which pissed me off royally. I didn't leave a tip. I got directions to the main bus terminal, which was logically pretty close to the port. After chatting with the bloke behind the glass screen for a little bit, I spent a good chunk of recently exchanged currency, over $250, on a very long bus ride across the country to San Francisco. It took me four days to make it to the west coast. I stayed on the bus pretty much the whole time. The loo was cramped and tiny, but I was used to that on the ship, and I'd always have it to myself when we stopped somewhere was working on that last bit of the late James Herbert's final novel, Ash, which wasn't that good, unfortunately. His last few novels were another attempted play on the ghost story, and they tended to feel pretty much the same thing over and over again. But it was his last work, and I was going to try and enjoy it to the best of my ability. In San Francisco, I hired a car, paid cash, and gave them the information they needed. I wasn't sure if I'd be bringing the car back or if I'd be living it amongst some trees somewhere, near to Ostium. I wasn't sure of anything, except for the address, so to speak. In the last email after I'd told Jake that I was coming to Ostium, come hell or high water, he gave me some detailed instructions and directions to get to Ostium. And now I was on the road, on a freeway in fact, in a left-hand drive car, crawling my way north following Jake's words. I was a decent driver, but driving on the other side of the car, on the other side of the road, was bloody weird. I was glue-stick to the slow lane, kept my speedometer under 45. I took lots of breaks and stops along the way for food and drink to calm my racing heartbeat. I was shit-scared, and the driving was definitely taking its toll. Along with the fact that a week ago, I was comfortably ensconced in my flat. And now I was on the other side of the world, in a place that was strange and unfamiliar. Considering I hadn't been on holiday in years, this was a really big deal. But Jake had done his job very thoroughly. 
and I was on the right track. I could feel it. When I got to the Starbucks that he'd been in in that first episode of Ostium, I had to stop, go inside, and get a coffee. I retraced his footsteps to the best of my knowledge and memory, filling his shoes. I know I must have been in a different space in the car park, but I saw the house he'd mentioned when he was honing in on Ostium. I took the approximate spot, hoping the owner of the car in front of me wouldn't show up and wonder what the bloody hell I was doing. It was a nice moment. I didn't feel anything. Didn't expect to. And I wasn't going to kid myself there was anything. Then I got back in my car and continued on my stressful journey. Once I got off the freeway and onto smaller roads, I definitely calmed down a bit. Was able to go even slower, too. Watching the scenery change was just as Jake had described it. I could have been listening to the podcast while I was driving, but that was too far off to the right of the spectrum into the batshit crazy section I felt. I was listening to classical music. Ralph Vaughan Williams. It made everything that much more beautiful. The cars had completely disappeared, and it was just me now. The road narrowed. The parallel walls of greenery rose up on me. I knew I was getting close. My foot lifted off the pedal when I saw the sign. I had to stop. I had to get out and just touch it. Just like Jake had done. Because if the sign was real, then Ostium had to be real. And this green and white piece of metal by the side of the road was as real as the car parked next to me. I took a long moment just looking at it. I may have gotten a bit teary-eyed, but there was no one around to be sure of this. I got back in my car and drove on. A little while later, the foliage opened up, and there I was, at the entrance to Ostium, staring at that unique façade. I parked under a tree, looked around but didn't see any other cars. Maybe Jake had hidden his as well and forgotten to tell me. Wasn't really important, was it? I got out and looked at the wall expanding out in both directions. I walked up to the gate, saw something, ran towards it. When I reached the iron halves, I dropped to my knees, feeling the tears coming again, turning my vision blurry. There was a hexagonal padlock on the gates. What the bloody hell? I reached out a shaky hand and hovered over it, not sure if I wanted to touch it. Once I did, it would make it real, like everything else around me. Then I grasped it. It was cold, a solid bit of metal. I moaned when I held it, not sure where to go next. I gripped the bottom end and yanked. The lock clicked open, like there was a key in it. But I could see the keyhole and there was no bloody key in sight. Nevertheless, the lock was now open. I slowly got back up and slipped the lock off the gate, letting it fall to the ground. It gave a heavy thump. I pushed on the gates, and just as Jake said, they opened like a pair of hands, welcoming me in. I was still crying, but smiling now. Bloody great big grin plastered across my face. I walked into Ostium and felt at home. Then I started running, fast and hard. I knew exactly where to go. It didn't take long to make it to the clock tower. Both hands were pointed at twelve. I reached for the door with the one on it, and opened it. The creek was beautiful, music to my ears. I walked into and gasped at the map table. Then I shouted, Jake, Monica, anyone bloody here? It's Dave. 
day from across the pond. I've had a very long trip and I'm completely knackered. If you're here, stop farting about and show yourselves, please. Silence. No one was here. Okay. Maybe they were in another time, or on another planet. Or on the other side of one of the doors. Jake had said they were going to keep going through the doors. The last recording I'd heard was them going to Avalon on Catalina. And then that weird rumbling had ended the episode, and that was it. Yeah, and that big, jagged crack had formed in the map table. My heart spasmed, and I spun around, tripping over myself, getting to the map table. I looked at it and couldn't believe. I tried to stop the tears for the third time, but no such luck. I was sobbing like a baby who needs his nappy change this time. There was no crack. The whole thing looked perfect, varnished, beautiful. Each of the numbers a shiny, harsh black, including the first five numbers. I stared hard at each one, rubbing my eyes clean. The numbers for doors one, two, three, four, and five were all black. This wasn't the same. I was in a different ostium.